0: Hi, everyone. A couple of weeks ago, there was a murder of an MP of David Amis in the United Kingdom. And as usual, the reaction was people trying very quickly to impose a narrative on this tragic event. So the first reaction was that there is a lot of toxicity in the public sphere. So many noticed that what we need to do is we need to make sure that we count down with the, let's say, the very, the very, the, with the political fervor and attacks on MPs via Twitter. And many people said that maybe it's time to address issues such as online anonymity. Others said that since there is some serious indication that the perpetrator was someone who was motivated by political, uh, he, he wanted, he had terroristic aspirations, that he planned this murder, that maybe he saw himself as having some allegiance to the Islamic State. They said, no, what is happening here is clearly an issue of Islamic terrorism, and we need to talk about that. So what we're going to do today is try to figure out, is there always some meaning behind a murder? So two, uh, four years ago, five years ago, we had the tragic murder of Joe Cox. Before Brexit, by a person who was uh, someone clearly not part of a movement. Not he was a loner, a lone wolf. But in his house, it was uh, it was found that he had far right uh, literature. That he was someone who considered that Britain was under attack. So again, then the narrative was this was due to the toxicity of Brexit. So. The question is, is there always some meaning behind the murder in terms of, we need to ask questions, who is to blame? Maybe the blame is in the culture, or do we accept that sometimes some people, even if they think in their mind that they have some political affiliation, actually there is not much meaning because this is just a senseless act of evil. So with me today, Jonathan Honig.
1: Jonathan, first thoughts. Well, its first thought is is uh, of horror, Nikos. I mean, the the description of this and it, it made some news here in the states. It wasn't necessarily front page news, but you know, this was a sixty nine year old politician. He was murdered in a church. Uh, he was at church at the Belfair's Methodist Church. He was stabbed multiple times. He his times he died on the floor of the church, um, and you know. Your, your question about, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but something effective like, well, you know, murder happens, Is do we look for any connections? And I think, yeah, we do, because, you know, it's almost like deja vu, where have I seen this before? And then you realize where you've seen this before, you've seen this time and time and again, throughout Europe in particular, of stabbings by people who are motivated, not by so-called terrorism, right, terrorism is the tactic, but by Islamist ideology. I mean, Britain's had a whole slew of these nicoses. as you know, they're they're horrifying, um, but this is in France, this is in Switzerland, this is all over the place. I mean, they went back to the Charlie Hebdo office and with a, another knife attack just last a year in 2020 with a Cleaver attack. I mean, literally I had dozens and dozens of headlines of Islamist knife attacks throughout Europe to go through. And you know, uh, sometimes nicos you can't say they're not thoughtful. Here was one where a terrorist planned a knife attack as a gift for his bride, you know? So there's a little bit of something there from the heart. And of course, you know, where have we seen this before? I think what makes it so tragic is that of course, 16 years ago, it was Theo Van Gogh slain for his or murdered for his uh so-called controversial Islamist views. So this is just like it's déjà vu all over again of someone getting brutally murdered, not because of an accident or just, you know, some crazy guy, but because of these Islamist ideology that continues to this day.
0: Okay, so I want to push back a bit on this. So first of all, we don't know what has been the case this time, but even, even if it is proof that this guy had the, had the plan or even if this guy had some, some links, I still stand by my position that I find it very, very sallow that whenever there is such a tragic incident, everyone is jumping to impose their narrative. And also notice first and foremost, the, the, the shocking double standard. So when the tragic murder of Joe Cox happened in 2016, weeks before Brexit, there was almost a shaming that it's the toxicity and the xenophobia and the conspiracy theories of the Brexiteers that armed Wait, the hands uh, uh, of this
1: n- merger. Nikos, respectfully, I have to push back a little bit because I'm not imposing any of my views. I'm reading from the Reuters article. Uh, Ali Harab Ali had quote, described himself as affiliated to Islamic State and had planned for years to kill a member of parliament. That is not me or anyone else imposing our perspective. This is what the perpetrator himself has told uh so you can either say that he's out of his mind and craziness when he's talking or you can believe what he's saying is that he's a he's affiliated with islamic state and motivated by those ideas
0: okay but again even if we even if we even if we take this so there is this again this tendency it's almost it's i consider first of all of poor taste that whenever and this has nothing to do with what you said i'm explaining what happened in the uk so when we didn't know anything about this guy, or there was some idea. Anyone all rushed to, again, impose an agenda. So people who thought that online anonymity is a problem, they jumped on this as if this guy was killed because of some internet trolls, as if there was a Twitter storm, and this is what killed this guy. Whereas actually what killed this guy is, as you said, the the, the hand of someone who was a murderer. And perhaps there is a strong indication that he was uh, that there was this ideology behind him. But let me finish with the double standard thing. So when the Joe Cox things happened, again, there was, I remember in the universities, there were vigils, minutes of silence, everyone was shocked next day at work. Why? Because the perpetrator was someone who was a convenient perpetrator. He was a white guy, they found far-right material at his home. And allegedly, when he was attacking her, he said something like, Britain first. And when he went to court, he said death to traitor or something like that. But again, I don't think that that person was characteristic of something wider in the culture. So this is what I'm trying to say, that the fact that someone, the fact that the perpetrator of a, of a political murder is of a particular affiliation, even if this is established, I still don't think that we should jump and say, oh, see, this is another one of these incidents. Now, with the issue of Islamic terror, of course, there have been repeated events. But still, I would be very cautious, immediately jumping in and triumphant and say, see, this is one more of these situations. And here's why. So here's my biggest problem in this discussion. It almost takes away the free will and the guilt of the victim. So, for example, saying the political culture is toxic, that Twitter, uh, that you should you should not talk, with very bad words on Twitter, or that you should not speak bad about MPs. And this links, because this could link to someone taking an, a knife and starting killing people, I think this takes away the free will and, again, the responsibility of the perpetrator. In the same way that, although, of course, yes, Islamic fundamentalism is, is a problem, I think saying that, oh, this is just... a this just shows that uh, there's this community that is constantly a problem. I think this is also a lazy. This is also a lazy reading. Again, before we know exactly what happened, so that's my problem with this. That it's well, wait, that are, this I, idea I that guess... there is this culture out there, and people say, "Oh, okay, well, Brexit is." Uh, oh, the Brexiteers told me that uh, that uh, Bre- that. The political elite is traitors. Therefore, I'm going to merger a, a, a Labour MP. I think this is very diminishing. And this takes completely away the agency. And this completely undermines the idea of the agency. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I want to thank all of our super chatters, Mary Aline. Um, well, really, it's Mary Aline at this point. Thank you so much. And invite other people to to join us on Super Chat as they say it helps keep the conversation going, helps keep the lights on at Heinrich Center UK. All the content we bring to you the entire week, not just the daily objective, but uh, Nikos' private classes, James Valiant's private classes, uh, Don Watkins, and, some, and Harry Binslinger and so many more. So thanks for, for participating with that. You know, Nikos, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I hear you. I mean, if people are in Europe or the UK are actually... Uh, Suggesting that the reason we have these types of violent attacks is because of mean things said on social media. I mean, that is as asinine, in my opinion, as the belief that uh, the Palestine, violence from the Palestinians is because of poverty. Because of poverty, you know, it's that same avoiding the actual ideological fundamental issues. And we as objectivists are always saying that ideas are what move the world. And in my mind, there's no question that fundamental Islamist ideas are what motivated this gentleman's attack. Gentleman is putting it very generously. This person's attack by his own admission. And you're saying, well, you know, don't truck it up to his, another one of those Islamic attacks. But boy, if it smells like a duck and quacks like a duck, this is yet another one of those Islamist attacks. And it's not really surprising considering how much Islamism has grown, forget even since 9-11, I mean, since Theo Van Gogh. Uh, the same type of, uh, they actually seem to be increasing in frequency. What say you? So let me give another example. So every couple of years we
0: have an attack by a so-called incel. And then again, everyone jumps in and says, look, there's this space, this online space that is radicalizing men. So again, there are, I don't know, tens of thousands of quote incels and two or three or four or five, or even a hundred people who, have committed acts of violence or who are thinking of committing acts of violence. I don't think this is indicative of that there is this kind of a, movement of incels and they're a danger and we need to go in these online communities and see what is what is happening there. Let me give you another
1: example. Go and check. Wait, are, you, how- wait, are you saying that the threat from the incel community in your mind is equivalent to the threat from radical Islamists? No. I'm saying that I don't see
0: that there's necessary a threat by an organized movement because someone commits a crime or there could be. a. Th- so in the case of incels, for example, I don't think that every incel is a terrorist or a disaster waiting uh, waiting to happen as it is portrayed. Yes,
1: or of course. Let me give you another
0: example. Again, you don't how-
1: how did we, we establish think any, any one of the Islamist faith as a, we don't see them as being a terrorist. But we do understand that there is a association between militant Islam and terrorist incidents, including stabbings around Europe and around the world. No,
0: no disagreement here. But wouldn't you say that there is a difference between someone, for example, who is part of a movement, who is part of a network and as someone who might be, I don't know, mentally disturbed and commits an act of violence. Let me give the example of the murderer of Joe Cox. So the police officers and the prosecution said, this guy was a loner if there ever was one. This guy didn't even, didn't even have basically contact with anyone. So they couldn't find anything on, the, on his telephone. They still haven't, have no idea how he found the weapon. And yet, because in his house, they found far-right uh, paraphernalia, far-right uh, literature, they said that all oh, this proves that uh, there's a problem of white nationalism in the UK. Now this is again a very, very shallow explanation. There might be a big problem of white nationalism. There might be a big problem of Islamic fundamentalism. And the problem is, but I don't. This is not proven by the fact that someone who we still don't know anything about did this act. And imagine. If someone goes to my home, for example, in Greece, they will find Stalinist literature, Stalinist paraphernalia, Mein Kampf, the, the complete works of Mao, the complete works of the dictator of Greece. I have historical interest and in all that stuff. If one day I lose my mind and I, I don't know, I become a murderer, the fact that they go back home and they say, oh, there's like Stalinist terrorism in Greece, that would be, that would be very, very Lazy. Well, and there's been Again.
1: there's been some even examples I can't think of them, but at some point someone killed some somebody, which is terrible, and they found something of A- Ayn Rand's at their house and said, you know, see, it's another. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I I understand what you're saying that you know of course you can jump to conclusions and it's, you know, it's very easy to do. I I just wonder Nikos, you know, <clears throat> the Shintoism that dominated. Japan in World War II, you know, like, why is no one committing terrorist acts in the name of Shintoism now, even, you know, because those ideas were de- defeated, totally obliterated, no one's even considering them, no one wants to emulate them, like maybe in the culture now people want to emulate Islamism because they see it growing, you know, they see Afghanistan, they see uh, these people being uh, heralded as martyrs, I mean, would you at least give me that, that maybe people aren't directly in contact with the Islamic State necessarily, but even if they are that weirdo loner sitting at home, the fact that Islamism seems to be winning, seems to be heroic, that alone can be inspiration for violence.
0: So usually when a movement is on the rise, we see networks and act of terrorism that are quote, serious, which means they include a lot of people, they include a lot of resources, We saw this with the left, for example. Well, what about knifing
1: a guy in a church? Is that not kind of serious? It is super
0: serious, but it does not involve, it's super serious morally, but it's not an operation that has to involve many people or a network or something like that. So quite often when you see these desperate acts, it could mean that this movement is actually very, actually weak or non-existent. So again, I'm not saying it is. But the conclusions we should draw about something cannot be about the act by by someone who, from what we know at the moment, did not have any serious links. Or if he has, we don't know it yet. And definitely every time that there is a murder jumping into imposing a narrative, I see it as intellectual laziness. So I'm not trying to uh, shy uh, away. uh, I want uh, to make something clear. I'm not trying to shy away. From the serious discussion. I'm saying that the serious discussion becomes less serious when we psychologize or when we say, when we see a murder and we can't, each each side cannot wait to see, oh, was he white? Therefore, we're going to say it's white, right? Or was he his skin color? Oh, he was probably an Islamist. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm finding disgusting. And it has to do also with my criticism of tribalism, because my criticism of tribalism starts here that it makes you lazy, that it makes you not think based on facts and what you see in front of you, but, but kind of looking around and say, okay, what are we going to think about that? And what is the conclusion that we are going
1: to draw about this? Well, I I, I agree with you, Nikos. I mean, we can't be lazy. We can't uh, ever ignore, you know, at some point when a Dr. Peacock's podcast, he talked about, talked about, I believe this epistemology is being, you know, just about the facts or, you know, really trying to search the facts. So, you know, when I was heard about this story, of course, I went to to see the facts. And, you know, I'm just going by this person's words. He described himself as affiliated to Islamic State. He said he had planned to kill a member of parliament in the name of Islamic State. So you kind of you, you have to go on that. And I, you know, I just go back to this idea of um, after 9-11. and I'll share one more screen. Um after 9-11, Dr. Peakoff wrote about end states that sponsor terrorism. And um, just the idea that you have to destroy the ideology so that people don't wanna pursue these ends and don't won't commit uh, uh, acts of violence. And two other quick resources I'll mention if I have the right screen up here, two other quick resources. One is Winning the Unwinnable War, which is still a great book that kind of gets in this idea. And people say now, like, oh, well, it's always, you know, whack-a-mole. You get the Islamists here, they go over here, and, and this, Ilan Jurno talks about why. Uh, John David Lewis's Nothing Less Than Victory about how to actually win a war. And Ilan's book more recently, What Justice Demands, are all great resources about how I think you wouldn't have, in my opinion, you wouldn't have any more of these uh, uh, barbaric knife attacks on the street. Then, go on, then again, in Afghanistan this past week, they uh, beheaded uh, young female soccer players. So I guess it's just kind of all in day's work in in the world of militant Islam. Yeah,
0: and I don't know how we ended up discussing whether this was an Islamic attack or no. That was not my focus. My focus was mostly how the initial reaction was something that had was completely different to the essence of the case, which was mostly that we need to tone down and that we need. To, so again, I don't understand what is the relationship, for example, between. Toxicity on Twitter and Islamic terrorism. So, or what is the influence even, what's the correlation between toxicity and people taking, it? someone taking the decision to use a gun? I mean, you could say, of course, the culture plays a role, but again, this cuts away the link between someone having agency to think for himself and take that decision. It almost, it almost, it almost cuts the murderer some slack if you say, well,
1: there was toxicity, and therefore I decided yes, to take yes.
0: a gun and attack someone, the,
1: the, and this we absolutely agree. I mean, this we actually agree to say something like, well, the problem here is this toxicity and toxicity, toxicity on Twitter's, is it's as I said, it's the same thing of like, well, you know, if if poverty was what caused Islam or violence in in the Middle East, if it was poverty among the Palestinians, then you know, the Mexicans at the southern border. Would be launching missiles into Texas. They wouldn't be trying to come in to work. You know, poverty isn't what causes violence. It's it's the ideas behind it. So um, I, I think you're right. We just can't you know, jump to conclusions or you know, based on anything other than the facts. But the facts okay. in this case, I think, fit a narrative that has been pretty consistent in Europe for since Van Gogh or even before. Yeah, but and again,
0: though, there is a difference in my view between someone who is influenced by some ideas but he's a damaged mind. He's a lone wolf. Or again, like the guy who murdered Joe Cox. And there's a difference if we have a Charlie Hebdo, for example, situation where you have a group of people where you know for sure that they're consistently under this ideology and all that stuff. But again, I don't want to disagree with you because I don't think we disagree on anything. I just wanted to give the overall, my overall point of view on oh, X was, quote, uh, radicalized by Twitter, or this fact that they go and they search their web history. If you search my web history, you're going to find every political freak in the modern history of humanity because, A, I'm interested in this, B, I'm writing on these things. So again, I feel very uncomfortable with this idea that, oh, X was radicalized by this, or because the next point in the discussion is, therefore, we have to do something about all these radical voices on the internet so and even within some even within some months not even years when I started doing my research on the tribalist book the sources I could find in Amazon compared to now particularly with the far right are uh, most of them I can't find it anymore and again Amazon can take this decision but it's all this part of this idea that we live in this super toxic environment and therefore and therefore these ideas being out there is uh, is is what leads to these things, which on the very big scheme of things, there is something to it, but again, it takes away the agency and it takes away the culpability of the people who commit these uh, who commit these acts. Otherwise, we should ban Marx, we should ma- we should ban Evola, we should ban the Bi- the Quran, we should ban maybe the Bible, we should ban everything. And this is not what about is. It just says that.
1: Every single idea can lead to bad. Uh, well, to yeah. It, 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 I mean, it, I'm speaking seriously out of my area of expertise, but you know, it reminds me a little bit of the discussion about the House uh, activity is on House Committee on Un- House Committee on Un- American Activities, where the issue was: Are you a member of the Communist Party, or have you read Communist literature? I mean, there's. I mean, there is a difference between researching or learning about Islam, or even having the what's it called again, the uh, Quran, you know, having copies of the Quran, and participating. And you know, there was some talk on the the, the chat as well, Nikos, that you know, even if you're not working with somebody cl- like in the same city planning a terrorist attack, maybe someone is just a supporter, an ideological supporter through the internet. You know, so maybe maybe this person is so called low wolf, lone wolf. But they're getting that ideological support. I mean, you know, they're, they're getting it from somewhere. So they're getting it through the internet. Someone's not buying them necessarily the bomb, but they're feeding them the ideas that this goal, this violent goal, is a moral, is a moral one. Sure. Okay.
0: Yeah. Again, I'm not going to disagree with this. The only reason I'm putting it forward is because we don't know for sure yet. And also, notice the other danger with all this discussion to calm down, don't steer any, don't steer any any conflict it's even more difficult to have these serious discussions, to have this discussion, for example, about radical Islam, because then they're going to tell you, oh, you're steering Islamophobia. So what I'm saying is we should have robust discussions. We should have very strong disagreements without being toxic and without being evil and without trying to harm each other. But having these difficult discussions is actually a prerequisite of understanding why there is this violence. This idea that we have to enforce this civility where, you know, we talk to each other very, very kindly and we accept each other and we tolerate each other. No, in some ways, quote, tolerating bad ideas is what can lead to violence. That's why I don't want to conflate this message after the murder, which was, oh, we all need to calm down and to be more soothing and don't look back in anger. And what is the actual discussions that we need to have once we know all the data? So, yeah, today's topic was a bit difficult to navigate. We're kind of thinking on the spot, but there are some tendencies that again, I think need to be criticized, and I find them super annoying every time there is a political crime or a or a high
1: high level let's say murder or something. Well, you know we're not fighting we weren't fighting Shintoism uh, in the fifties and sixties in America but we're still fighting radical Islam now, you know, what is it 30 some years after the, uh, the uh, um, embassy uh, uh, bombing or the embassy takeover and 16 years after uh, uh, Theo van Gogh and how many years after Charlie Hebdo? That was six or seven years uh, anyway. 2015, uh,
0: yeah, it was the beginning of 2015.
1: I just, I hope that people will read winning the unwinnable war and hopefully this Islamic terrorism or whatever it is, Nikos, we won't be talking about five, 10 years from now, but we will be let's talking see. about it on, on the Clubhouse in just a moment, won't we?
0: Yeah, we can jump to Clubhouse and let's see what our, what our audience thinks about, uh, about, this, uh, about th- this topic.
1: And thank you again, Marylene, for all your support and helping us uh, keep bringing all this program to you. And thank you Nikos as always for the spirit of discussion. Thanks.
0: Bye-bye.